I said I'm alone. <laughs> Pay no attention to the phone. Okay. Pay no attention to the phone. Yes. Okay, so I have notes because it's like a lot. So I'm gonna try to go like quick, but I'm also gonna try to like hit every point. Um so um basically well I'll just introduce myself. I'm Ellie. I go to Whiteland and I'm a junior. So um that kind of plays a role in it. And also, um, I have um, three older brothers and then um, my mom and my dad, which also plays a pretty big role in my testimony. Um, so my family's never really like been religious. Um, my mom grew up in a religious household, but then when she married my dad, um, they just stopped going to church all around. And me and my brothers were never really um, like shown the church or like we never really knew the Lord growing up and um my mom would like sometimes talk about Jesus and um like sometimes we'd go to like a Sunday school or something but that was like once a year like we would go like maybe like the week before Christmas or something and um so like I knew who Jesus was but I didn't really know him and um, I basically, the way that I can put it is I pretty much thought it was like a fairy tale. Like, I, I didn't think that people actually like believed in the Lord. And I thought it was just kind of like a story. And like, for example, I like knew what, um, I knew he died on the cross, but I didn't know what for. So that's kind of like how my childhood was. And then um, also... I used to be a very, like, outgoing kid, um, but then once I got, like, into my later years of elementary school, um, since I was pretty outgoing, a lot of people thought it was, like, kind of weird, so I was, um, I was bullied, so I had to deal with that, and it made me very insecure about a lot of things, so, um, and it was really hard because I felt like I couldn't trust anybody because I was bullied by my friend group, and, um, so that's how that was, and I was just very um, self-conscious about looks and about my personality, so I just kind of became really, really quiet, um, so then I'm gonna fast forward to, like, 2019, um, this is when my brother Grant moved out, he's my second oldest brother, and um, he had a pretty rough time um, as well, um, I mean, he's okay with me sharing this, but he was arrested twice, and so that kind of really brought him to know the Lord, but I'll let him share his own testimony. That's all I'm going to say about that, but that's just how he became to know the Lord, and like, so he saw that I was having a rough time, and he kind of tried to um, show me who Jesus was, and um it kind of was too late because he was moving out, so, and he moved to Tennessee, and he still lives there, and I'm still really close with him, and I just don't see him a lot anymore, and he's just my closest brother, because we just have always gotten along the best, and he's always, like, had my back. Um, so, at this point, I only live with, um, my brother Nick, because my oldest brother, Scott, he, um, got married in like 2016 he has a kid and he like lives in Franklin so he doesn't live in my house anymore and um so I only live with Nick and he's an atheist and he's very open about it um he always talks bad about 
the Lord, and since I was, um, since I was, like, we have kind of connecting rooms, so we would always, like, leave our doors open, like, hang out and talk to each other, because, you know, as teenagers, you don't really want to hang out with your parents, like, you don't (laughs) want to, so I would just hang out with my brother, and we became really close, and I still love him, but we just don't see eye to eye, so, um, I started, like, um, I would even talk bad about Christians, and I would make fun, and I just didn't understand it, so, um, I became more and more like him, and then the pandemic hit, and this was, um, the middle of my freshman year, and that pretty much changed everything. That was kind of, like, the start of, like, the downfall. Um, I got very in my head because we were all at home. I couldn't, I didn't really have an escape because I, um, I didn't really have an escape because, um, I didn't have school or I didn't have, I didn't know the Lord. And, um, I just really didn't know what to do. So, um, I just felt like I wasn't good enough at all. And, um, then I would hang out with my, who I thought were my friends, and we would, um, whenever I hung out with people, which I rarely ever did, but whenever I did, um, I always turned to alcohol, and, um, I would hang out with my friends, and we'd always steal alcohol from, um, their parents, or sometimes even from my parents, and, um, it just really caused me to, like, go even deeper into that hole, and it caused me to really remove myself from society, and I didn't talk to, like, anybody. Um, I became really dependent on alcohol to make me feel better, and it took me a while to stop drinking, um, and also, um, the alcohol also plays a role in, um, my eating disorder, um, I've always struggled with eating, um, it started, it really, um, got bad, um, right when I went into high school, and, um, I was dropping pounds really quickly, and I was becoming really sick, and really weak, and I would faint, and it was just not a good time, so, you know, during COVID, I was at home, so nobody could hold me accountable for eating, so that was, um, really hard and I still struggle with it but um knowing the Lord has really just shown me my worth and so um then we um I got into my 10th grade year um this was like when we first started having to wear masks to school and stuff so um I silently struggled really hard through my um 10th grade year And then in January 2021, I completely broke. Um, My depressive episodes were visible. My anxiety attacks, panic attacks, self-harm, and my insomnia were all visible. Everybody could tell. Um, And I ended up going fully online from um, school. And I did get help, but it was extremely forced. and everybody made me feel like it was, like, my fault for feeling this way, 
and um, I really just wanted to die. I remember having a conversation with my friend, and I was like, I just don't want to be here anymore. There's no point. And barely anybody knew, not even my whole family knew. Um, And then I was put on medicine. Um, And then a few days later, I had a severe panic attack because I have a panic disorder as well as anxiety. And um, they gave me these really strong panic disorder meds. And um, so um, I got home and I felt like a burden because I don't want to blame my family, but they were giving me a hard time about going to the emergency room for a panic attack um, because it was kind of like a lot of money because, you know, the hospital's a lot of money. So they were, I just felt like a, a huge burden with the money. And um, I just really felt like I didn't belong. So um, at the end of January, a few days after the emergency room, I um, decided that I was going to... I decided that I was going to take every pill that they gave me um, and I was going to go to bed. And I did that. So, um, I remember I woke up and I was really upset because I woke up and I had to just pretend like nothing happened. I had to go downstairs and I had to, um, I had to just talk to my family like, um, nothing had happened. And I just remember I was like, why did I do that? And I like instantly regretted it but I still wanted to just like I still didn't want to be here I just felt like I had no purpose um so so the days after were really hard and I was just really disappointed in myself so um so um since I really had no friends whenever somebody would reach out um I would always say no. So people just stopped reaching out altogether. So then I was really alone. I didn't have anybody. But then one day in um, March 2021, um, one of my old cheer friends um, reached out to me. And um, I just, like, like, I full-heartedly believe, now looking back on it, that that was the Lord calling me home because I answered that call and I never did that. I never talked to anybody and I hadn't talked to her in forever. And, um, so I started hanging out with her a lot and she started making me feel like I was, um, like I was worth something. And she would always just, she started like introducing me to like things that I didn't know were, like, possible, so, um, and then she introduced me to friends that were good for me, um, not the ones who would drink, and, um, so, um, all of these people just made me feel, um, really loved for the first time, like, I've never felt this kind of love, like, in my life, in my whole, at this time I was 15, in my whole 15 years I didn't feel 
um, any form of love. I remember I had um, this count thing in my phone, and I was counting how many days I was going without smiling, and it was, like, a really long time. I could not smile. So, um... So, I still struggled, but I knew I could talk to them. Um, and, um, in May, the girl who, um, reached out to me in March, um, we were hanging out with another girl, um, and I became close with her as well, and, um, they started talking about Christianity, and I was confused, um, because I didn't really know, because they have always been, they grew up in a Christian household, and I remember I was sitting in my room, and I vividly remember saying that I had no idea who God was, and, um, that's when I first heard the gospel, um, it was told to me in my own room, right next to my brother, who, I just thought it was crazy, because my brother's atheist, and he was sitting in the room right next door, and I just, it, it was just crazy to me and um so they shared the gospel with me and um then a few days later um the girl called me and she was coming here and um she called me at like five fifteen, and she was like um hey do you want to come to my youth group and I was like um sure like I didn't hesitate like I was like yeah why not? And, um, when I went here, I instantly, like, felt welcomed. I remember, like, Brock came up and gave me a big hug, and I was like, oh, hey. (laughs) So, um, I instantly felt super welcomed, and, um, even though I didn't know Christ, everyone else did, and, but I didn't feel any judgment because of that. Like, I didn't know anything about the Lord, and, um, everybody else had, like, their little journals and was writing and stuff, and I was, like, okay, I don't really know what's happening, but I'll just watch, so, um, yeah, I felt no judgment, and I felt like I had a home. I always call this place, like, my second home, and, um, so over summer 2021, this past summer, I started learning a lot more about, um, the Lord, and then, um, I decided to get baptized, so I was baptized, um, and then, uh, he pretty much saved my life, so, yeah, that's it. I think we underestimate like the power of the gospel and just like like Ellie like had like the first time you heard it was just like in your room and it like changed everything like why aren't we sharing it more with people why am I not sharing it more with people but yeah um so today we're finally going back we're diving back into the Sermon on the Mount um because we took a few weeks off because of COVID and then we came back and Andrea taught 
and Andrea is amazing, and so that was so fun. And then Carly taught, um, and it's really cool to just like have other people come in and teach and like really pour in, and um, it's just really cool to watch. Um, but today, I'm so excited because we're diving back in to um, what the Sermon on the Mount has to tell us. Um, but because it's been so long, I thought it would be nice to just do a quick review. Um, so what do you guys remember about what we talked about? Like, I feel like it was like two months ago, um, but it was a long Four months ago? September 4th. Oh, September 4th. Yeah, so it was like a month ago. Um, what makes the Sermon on the Mount so important? It's the longest story that we have. Yeah. Yeah. It's a story. Um, it's, it's a sermon from Jesus himself. Yeah. It's the transition from old to new law. Yes. Yeah. Transition from old to new law. Yeah. Who is the Sermon on the Mount for? us <laughs> yeah people that know Jesus so it's like the the way that a Christian is supposed to live um and then right now we're in the Beatitudes um so what do you guys remember about like what the Beatitudes are the very start of the Sermon on the Mount they're little stepping stones of how we should be as Christians yeah yeah and like how we should act, what we should do, and they all build on each other. So the first one, you need the first one to be able to do the second one well, to do the third one well. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, they're like little characteristics that we're supposed to have, and they you can't have one without the other. They're all kind of like linked together like a puzzle piece. Um, so that's where we are right now, and so we covered poor in spirit, um, and now we're covering mourning um, and meekness. So we're going to hit two verses today. Um, and Jesus says that blessed are those poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. Um, so what does Jesus mean when he says blessed, like you're a blessed? Is it like chosen? Yeah, you're chosen. An unshakable joy. Yes, yeah, you have an unshakable joy. Um, it's a blessing that's so much deeper than maybe like the blessings we think of this world, like a nice house or a nice car or like having a good hair day. Like those, like those are blessings, but like Jesus's blessings are so much deeper than that. Um, so like Andrea said, and like Elise said, it's um, the bless that Jesus is talking about is just a deeply rooted joy um, that goes throughout all eternity and that can never be taken from you. Um, so um, kind of to to refresh ourselves and poor in spirit. Um, Jesus is saying, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. So those who are aware of their spiritual depravity, who know that they're sinners and know that apart from Jesus Christ, um, they cannot get into heaven on their own because they're not righteous. Our, our righteousness is but filthy rags before the Lord. We need someone else to cover us in their righteousness. And that's what Jesus does. Um, so to be poor in spirit, that's the foundation of our whole lives, right? Is to know I am a sinner, um, but it doesn't end there, right? It says, blessed are the poor in spirit um, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So yes, we know that we're spiritually depraved, but when we accept Jesus, we inherit the kingdom of heaven, which is the greatest inheritance of all. Um, so that is the foundation. And then now we take that a step further, which the next beatitude is, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Um, so this word mourning is um, a little different than maybe the mourning that I guess first came to my mind, where like you lose a family member or someone that's close to you and you mourn and you grieve over them. Um, this mourning, this specific word in the Greek is different than that. Um, this mourning is... is um, kind of tying back into sin so it's saying blessed are those who mourn over their sin or who grieve over the fact that they sin um so this means that you see that there is a holy god and that when you sin against him 
you are sinning against a holy God um, and you grieve that. Um, so Jesus is talking about um, something that's, again, something bigger than what this world has to say. Um, but yeah, this word mourning just means to mourn over your sin. Um, so it ties right back into being like to being aware of your spiritual depravity is like, I know that I am not good on my own and I grieve the fact that I'm a sinner. Um, and you can even grieve the sins of others or the brokenness of this world. Like um, we can grieve over the fact that there's injustice happening in Afghanistan and that's mourning over sin. So it's like, blessed are those who mourn. We can mourn over this, the brokenness of our world too. Um, <clears throat> Um, so this is also countercultural, right? Because the world tells us to, you're strong enough, you're good enough, you're great. Um, and Jesus is saying, no, that is not the key to happiness. The key to happiness and deeply rooted joy that's never going to be taken from you is knowing that you sin against a holy God um, and that he loves you anyway, but you have to acknowledge that you're a sinner first. Um, because we can never find life by looking at ourselves, right? We have to look outside of ourselves and we have to look to Jesus. Um, so... And we can never forget the second part of this beatitude, right? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be um, comforted. Um, so it's not saying you're going to sit in, your, in self-hatred and guilt and shame. Um, it's saying that you grieve over your sin, but then you receive the comfort of God in it. Um, so, like, how incredible is that? That we sin against a holy God who has every right to just, like, completely shun us. But instead of doing that, he draws near to us and comforts us in our sin. I was thinking about that this week when I was um, thinking about this lesson and just like, I don't deserve the comfort of God, especially when I sin. <laughs> but yet in my sin, he promises in this verse to draw near to me and to comfort me um, if I'm willing to repent and to acknowledge that it was wrong in the first place. Um, which again is so different than what the world tells us and maybe what we think about God sometimes. Like sometimes when I sin, I think, okay, I need to take a break from God. I'll come back tomorrow when I've done a few good things to earn his love back. Um, but this is so different. It's saying when you sin, you can draw near to God and be comforted by him and experience his love, um, which is just so awesome and so different than maybe what our hearts tell us and what the world tells us. Um, so our mourning is supposed to turn our eyes to the hope we have in Christ. Um, but also I don't want to uh, want to ignore the fact that when we do mourn, when we walk through grief and hardships and loss, the Lord is our comfort. Because um, I, I think that this also has an implication for that too, where when we mourn, we will be comforted by God. And we know that from other scriptures um, in, in the Bible. So turn with me to 2 Corinthians 1. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7. Um, and Andrea, since you're there first, can you read 3 through 7? Yeah. Okay. Um, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Mm -hmm. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort. What? Oh. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And, and our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Awesome. Thank you. There's a lot of comfort. Yeah, lots of comfort. <laughs> comfort, comfort, comfort. Comfort. Um, so how does this passage, what does it show us about who God is in our suffering?
What does he do? He comforts us through our suffering. Yeah, yeah, he comforts us. So when we suffer, we are promised the comfort of God. Um, And when we sin, we are promised the comfort of God. When we endure loss and we don't even have words to describe the pain that we're feeling, God is there with us, comforting us, um, being there with us because he he understands and he also loves us. Um, So I think that blessed are those who mourn. It mainly means blessed are those who understand their sin and who are grieved by it. But it also can mean like take heart when you are actually mourning and grieving and you will receive the comfort of God. It's a promise and you can cling to that and know that no matter what you walk through, the comfort of God is unshakable. Um, I love verse seven, which says our hope for you is unshaken. My, my past, my comfort, my comfort, my, my, your my, version. my version says um, our hope for you is unshaken for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Um, so Paul's hope for this church that he's writing to is unshaken because he knows that God will comfort them no matter what they walk through. Um, and they're probably walking through a lot of trials because the early church walked through a lot of trials. Um, so go ahead and flip back to Matthew 5. Um, so let's back up real fast, and I have a, I have a question for you guys. So um, how do we walk the line of mourning over our sin um, and not wallowing in shame and guilt. What do you guys think we should do so we don't just sit in shame? I think we have to <clears throat> remind ourselves that God paid the price for our sins. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. that like we never had sins in the first place, but just that it's all about Jesus paying the price for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We have to, like, yes, acknowledge our sin, but then look to what Jesus did and know that it's done. Yeah. Well, and then you have to acknowledge that because he did that, you can move forward from Mm. your sin, right? You don't just sit there in a bucket of sadness the rest of your life because you did something bad, right? Jesus died on the cross. He paid the price for it. And so you're good. You're you're clean. You get to start over. You get to try again. You get to, you know, get another shot. Hmm. And if we just remember, or if we only focus on the, the oh my gosh, I'm a sinner, and this is awful, life's going to be horrible. <laughs> it's not going to be any sort of fun. You're going to be telling yourself you're terrible all the time. Mm. But um, what Elise said, you have to remind yourself that Jesus paid the price mm. for you to have a second chance, yeah. and a third, and a fourth, and a 572nd chance. Like, mm. you get to try again over and over and over because God paid the price. Yeah. And if we forget about that, well, if we forget that, and or if we think that it's like a lot, it's it's me. I I I earned a second chance, or I deserve a second chance. Mm. That's dangerous too. But you can't forget to keep moving, right? And that's so that's something that our world doesn't do very well, right? You, oh my goodness, it's so sad, it's so terrible. You do you, like take some time and whatever. But they don't ever say, don't forget to get back up, mm. right? Don't forget to keep moving forward. They say just just do what you need to do. And we have this incredible opportunity to acknowledge what we did and take a minute. But then the Lord gives us another chance. Yeah. And we forget about it. Yes. <laughs> we were like, oh, my life was so plagued by an addiction or this trauma that I went through. And we, we stay there. Mm. We don't ever move forward from it. And I'm not saying that you need to forget those things because the Lord put them in your life to teach you something and whatever. All that good stuff. 
this fly is crazy. Yeah, he really. I know. Know. He's still there. (laughs) Yeah, someone needs to kill it. Um, but you have. I know. I'm probably repeating myself over and over and over. But you have to keep going. Mm, Yeah. You know. Yeah, and you acknowledge that you didn't do it. Yeah, and that fresh start, I think, is the comfort that Jesus is speaking about here. Is like, yeah, we get to start over. What a comfort that is! Like every single time that we, like, like I like was mean to someone yesterday and I asked for their forgiveness and I'm, I have to ask for the Lord's forgiveness. Okay, I get to start over. Yeah. Like, oh, I don't deserve to start over, but what a comfort to know that I get to start over. And it's an immediate thing, right? You sin, you ask for repentance, and immediately. It's not like a 24-hour mm. waiting period yeah. or like a seven-day hold. Like, pending. Pending. Yeah, you <laughs> get to start over immediately. Yeah. So you make a bad choice at five o'clock and by 502 you're like oh my gosh lord that was a terrible decision i'm so sorry like and you repent and you have this conversation with the lord you can start over at 503 yes like, you yeah. don't have to wait till the next day it's great and i'm i'm so bad at that personally because whenever i mess up i think that i need like time and it like like okay i mess up at five o'clock yeah. i need to wait till like 9 a.m tomorrow to like go to the lord about it because yeah i think that maybe i need to like feel bad about it for longer or i don't i shouldn't read my bible because i just like I'm not good enough for my Bible. Well, right so now. that's what they would have to do in the old time, right? Like, in the Old Testament law, if you did something wrong, you would have to, like, go get your goat and your sheep and whatever animals you needed for your specific sin and go to the Levites and, hey, here you go and do my sacrifice. And, right? And you would have, it would take a long time to pay for what you did and to, you know, to start over with the Lord. We have this, in, I don't, I'm, I'm just, in awe of it all the time we have this incredible privilege that we just say oh my gosh lord i messed up i'm so sorry forgive me whatever the things that you say to the lord are and you start over immediately like you don't have to wait yeah it's immediate like when we mess up like it's for me it's like i'm kind of not i'm not why i am scared to like confront him Hmm. but he forgives immediately yeah yeah awesome yeah all right and the bible tells us that he loves to forgive like it is like favorite thing. Like I don't know how. It's not my favorite thing to do for others. <laughs> I wish it was. That's why you're not God. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good thing I'm not God. I have to fail everybody. Um, but like when like you go to him, he's like, oh, good. I've been like I, I've been waiting on you. Yeah, I love to like he loves to forgive. Like that's so crazy to me. It's not like a burden. But um, so uh, Psalm 51 is an excellent psalm. Let's go and flip there. So this is a great outline for what it looks like to correctly mourn over your sin so we've read that i feel like i bring this a lot in our lessons sometimes but it's just so good and it gives you a guide for if you sin and you fall short this is a great thing to pray um and to work through because um yeah it's just really good um so in this david has just um he just slept with another man's wife got her pregnant and then killed her husband so he messed up really big time right and this is his him mourning over his sin um so i'll just read the first four verses and then um a few down the middle but i'll just i'll tell you guys which one i'm reading okay um have mercy on me O god according to your steadfast love according to your abundant mercy blot out my transgressions wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin for i know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you and only you have i sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment skipping down to verse 10 through 12 Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. 
Um, and then skipping down to verse 16 and 17. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and trite, contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Wow, so good. Um, so this kind of gives us an outline of what it should look like when we repent. Um, um, and then, oh, I lost my place. So yeah, um, here, David is just, he's telling God that it's against him and only him he has sinned, which is interesting because he definitely sinned against the wife and the husband. But first and foremost, he sinned against God. Um, and then he asked God to create in him a new heart and to restore the joy of his salvation, um, which is just the comfort that we receive, we receive right? Because um, David definitely does get his joy back. The rest of the Psalms point to that, um, that even after he sinned and missed that big time, the Lord restored his joy, comforted him, and like basically like changed his heart um and then verse 17 i just love this verse um and it ties perfectly into what it looks like to mourn over your sin um god loves a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart the lord will not despise um so when you are broken over your sin that's not a, always a bad thing um it's a bad thing if you've already been forgiven and then you're still like you know wallowing in your grief and your um, and kind of shame. Um, but when you are broken over your sin, that is a good thing. And the promise of the Bible says that you will be comforted, you'll be forgiven, and that the Lord loves that you are humble before him and you acknowledge your sin. Um, that's the first step in change. Um, so keep this um, psalm in mind um, for the rest of your life. I use it all the time. Um, and so um, the word comfort is really interesting um what do you how do you guys think the comfort of god is different from the world's definition of comfort the world's definition of comfort is luxury mm, yeah and god's definition of comfort is peace yeah hmm. yeah you can have nothing and still have comfort in yeah. god's kingdom but the world tells you you have to have everything first yeah Yeah, any other thoughts? How is the comfort of God different than the comfort of this world? God is the only place you can find true comfort. Mm, yeah. Kind of like what you were saying, yeah. Andrea. Like, with luxury, it feels like comfort, but it's not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's so good. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a, what's it called? Um, when you're trying to, like, it's like an imitation of mm -hmm. what true comfort is. It's like a false sense of comfort. It's like yeah. when they when they have like imitation yeah. crab. It's like fake crab. It's like yeah. imitation comfort. Yeah. Yes. God has the only real crab. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's true. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so it's awesome. God has the, the only real crab. crab. <laughs> so something. Oh, the first thing that comes to my mind is Moana and the big shiny crab. <laughs> so shiny. Like your mom. <laughs> She was absolutely <laughs> enormous. She was absolutely enormous. <laughs> so something. Maybe this is just a little. Anyways, um, Julia Short, her mom. I'm in a Bible study with her, um, and something that she said that I wrote down. So I write down great things that people say that I like in my Bible all over the place. 
And something that she has said was, a worldly hope is a wish. Mm. A biblical hope is an assurance. Mm. That's good. Um, and it's not exactly what we're talking about at the moment, but the concept applies, right? A worldly comfort is just kind of there, and a biblical comfort is an assurance. It's peace. It's for real. Mm. It's not going anywhere. Yeah. Can you repeat that? Yeah. Are you ready? Yes. A worldly hope is a wish. A biblical hope is an assurance. By Kristen Short. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so good. Yeah, the comfort of God is an assurance. The comfort of this world is gonna fade. Yeah. It's like you know, like when you buy like a really cute outfit and you're like, oh, I will never need another outfit again. This is perfect. I love it. The next day, you're already discontent. You're like, I wore it once. Now what do I? Yeah, do? <laughs> yeah. And that's like just like anything in the world. That's how it is. But like the God is so different. Where it's like. Yeah, it's just like you taste him and you're like, oh, this is my day off. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so the comfort of God is anchored in truth. It's reliable and it's trustworthy. Um, and no one loves you like God loves you, so no one can comfort you like God can comfort you. Um, just like the people in your life that love you the most, no one can really comfort you like they can. Um, but God is like 10 times better at comforting um, than any person could be. Um, so blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And blessed are those who are... Um, mourn for they shall be comforted um, and then the next one that we're going to hit um, are blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth um, so we're going to break this down into two parts we're going to break it down with meekness on one side and then inherit the earth because both of those are like what is meekness and what does it mean to inherit the earth um, so what is meekness how would you guys define it I, I can't remember. I wrote meekness down on the board, and was it was it you, Maddie? And you're like, "What is that?" <laughs> yeah, it's a weird word. We like never use it. But does anyone have an idea of what it means? I looked it up right before we got here. Cheater. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Oh, well, I want to have an understanding in case we don't go over the definition." Yeah. What did you come across? It's a. It's like submissiveness. Like you mm. go along with it. Like, you guys want to go get Burger King? Sounds good. We'll go get Burger King. Yeah. Or you got, like, you just kind of go along with it. You're not, like, no, I want to do this. You, you don't really mm. lead the charge. You just kind of follow. Yeah. It's like a quiet strength. Yeah. There yeah. you go. Yeah. Or a, a humble, humble strength. I yeah. don't know. It's different than humility, but humility is part of it. Right. Um, but, yeah, when I think of meekness, sometimes I think, like, of a little mouse. Yeah. Um, I think of a mouse or, like, a timid animal. Um, like small and quiet and scared of everything. Um, but this is not what meekness is. Meekness is actually a strength, especially in the kingdom of God, being meek is a strength. Um, so it's kind of like humility, but very different than humility. Um, and it's like you are aware, like what you said, you're like submissive to others or others' ideas. Yeah. But not um, like in a like not, a toxic way. Not yeah. like in the way our world thinks of submissiveness in a harmful, hurtful, abusive way. Like being submissive biblically is following is Hmm. following the leader that you're supposed to follow yeah it's not like okay i'm gonna let you do all these mean things Hmm. biblical submissiveness is just following who you're supposed to follow yeah yeah that's a good way to put it just kind of like i don't know using your like strength to serve others or to um or to follow who you're supposed to follow it's like um Everybody has different strengths, right? And all this good stuff. But it's, it's being a really strong follower. Mm. Like, Riley's leading whatever. Or David. That's a, that's a better example. David's my husband, right? He leads our family. And I have opinions. And I have things. And I don't want to get all walked over. 
<laughs> but, like, he's the one that was chosen to lead for a reason. He has a much more level head than I do. He can take emotion out of any decisions, right? And so my following and submissiveness and meekness in our marriage isn't a weakness. Mm. It's a good thing. Because I, like... I have this great opportunity to be the like the fierce supporter and the strong follower and the like the, mm. the like the number two, you know. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, know I always get really defensive when I talk about submissiveness and meekness because so many people look at them as awful things mm-hmm. or terrible things, especially if a woman is described as one of those things. And it like that. Yeah. I yeah. can be the best number two ever. You <laughs> yeah, know? like that's and it's not even like saying that like your husband is above you by any means. It's just, like, because David's not, like, better than you. You guys are no, the same. No. Um, but it's just, like, God put him as the leader. Yeah. And he put you as the, like, the follower. follower. Right. And But the thing is, like, you as a follower, like, contribute so much to the relationship as well. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Sorry, definitely that have been a tangent. I just. That's good. <laughs> you get so defensive when yeah. you're talking about me. Yeah, people don't like the S word. No. Submissive. Or submit. Yeah, I don't like it. Sometimes I have to check my heart whenever I read a passage about, like, the wife shall submit to her husband. I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) I don't want to. (laughs) Which is bad because I'm getting married. And so, but it's just, like, I think it's our human nature also to be like, I I want to be in charge and no one can tell me what to do. Um, But meekness is saying, um, I will follow whoever the Lord tells me to follow because I know that ultimately I follow Christ. And that is where my strength comes from. And so, therefore, I'm allowed to kind of humble myself. Um, be meek. Okay. Um, <coughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> that was weird. Um, anyway. Um, <laughs> um, now that we've gone through a tangent. Now that we've gone through a tangent. Um, so the best way to understand what meekness actually means is to look at other scripture, right? Because scripture interprets scripture. Um, and so Jesus knew his Bible like the back of his hand um, because, you know, he's God and um, it's his word. Um, so Jesus actually used parts of the Old Testament in the Sermon on the Mount and quoted them. Um, so he, so this this line right here, yeah, good job, Jesus. He's so <laughs> smart. Um, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. He kind of plagiarized it. He didn't plagiarize it because it's his word, but he stole it from Psalm 37. So let's go ahead and flip Psalm 37. And this psalm gives us a definition of what it looks like to be meek, which is so helpful because... Um, we'll leave today understanding exactly what it looks like to be meek um so psalm thirty-seven, eleven is going to sound very familiar uh, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace sounds just like the beatitude right that we just read blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the land um inherit the earth um so jesus just knows his bible really well um were you say something? No, I was just breathing at an awkward time and I made eye contact. <laughs> um, so Psalm 37, 1 through 11 is going to be our definition for what it looks like to be meek. Um, so let's see. Who would like to read 1 through 6? And I need someone to read 7 through 11. I can do one of them. Okay, 1 through 6. And who can do 7 through 11? I can do 7 through 11. Thank you, Elise. Okay, starting with the first one. Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Mm -hmm. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. 
Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for this place, and it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Awesome. Thank you. Um, so this, these 11 verses give us a definition of what it looks like to be meek. Um, so I have, I think, three points, three ways to better understand meekness. Um, so if you are meek, number one, you trust in God. Um, so me- meekness is a confidence that God is for you. Um, and so you can take that, that, that confidence that you know that God is for you. God is working all things together for good. He is in control um, and that he's strong. And a meek person understands that and it just changes the way that they interact with people. It changes the way they interact with situations in their life. Because um, rather than having to take charge of everything or to be the leader, they know that they're just a follower. They're just following God. God is in control. He's doing all the things, and their trust is firmly planted in him. Um, so a meek person trusts in God, which the this psalm talks about a lot. Um, and then a meek person, number two, commits their way to to him. Um, so they, if you're meek, you take all your plans before the Lord, and you're like, well, God, I plan to be, I wanted to go to graduate high school and go to college and then become a nurse. But, like, those are my plans. I give them to you. I commit my ways to you. And if you want to change that, like, I'm all yours because I, I know that you are in control and your ways are far better than my own. Um, so a meek person hands everything over to the Lord joyfully. Your plans, your desires, your wants, your expectations for life, um, you lay them all at the feet of the Lord. Um, and you just commit your way to him. Um, and number three, one of my favorite things to think about and try to get better at, um, cause I'm really bad at it. Um, a meek person is still and quiet before the Lord. Um, so this goes hand in hand in committing your way to him. When you let go of control, when you give it all over to him, your plans, your expectations, um, everything about your life, you get to be still and rest before him. And this doesn't mean like a laziness, right? It's not like I'm going to sit on my couch and wait for the Lord to do something. Um, it's like, a, okay, Lord, I'm going to work hard while also trusting you. Um, and I'm not going to uh, fret over my life. I'm not going to be a busy, crazy person. Um, but rather I'm going to rest, work hard and trust that you are the one that's ultimately in control. Um, so, um, so yeah, this is making these three three things part of your life will is like meekness like kind of like flourishing in your life um so meekness is a humble strength because you know your strength does not come from yourself but it comes from god working through you um so yeah that's the first part is meekness does you guys feel like you have a good idea of what meekness is Um, (laughs) uh, the second part of this beatitude can be kind of confusing because I think of like people in my life who I might see as meek and I'm like hmm they don't really own much land Um, (laughs) um, and they don't really own that much stuff in the first place Um, (laughs) I didn't think that was going to be so funny it's probably not (laughs) I thought it was funny it's a little funny it's not like they you know it's not like they have like a bunch of inheritance and they probably don't even own that much Um, but this (laughs) (laughs) but this inheriting the land this is a future hope a fancy word eschatological hope um, but what? it's estical. Estical. 
Escological. Yeah. You know that word? No. You don't. This is a great day. Yes. I know all kinds of words. It's like a fancy. It's a fancy word. Like it's like it's like um anything that has to do with like the coming of Christ is escological. Escological. Yes. Whoa. Yeah, but it's basically just a future hope. So in Revelation 20, 1 through 6, it tells us that one day Jesus will redeem the earth. He will make all things new, um, and we will reign with him on this earth. So he will, will, I mean, I don't know exactly how it all works because no one really does. But when when Jesus comes back, he takes all the people, he basically destroys this earth, and then redeems it completely and restores it back to its sinless state, and we will spend forever worshiping him. Um, That's pretty cool. Revelation 1 through 6, which is amazing because it's the very end of the Bible and it's just like the best hope that we could ever have. Um, So anyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ will literally, literally inherit the earth because we will be here on earth reigning with Christ forever. Um, uh, So yeah, which is really cool because if you're meek, you know Christ and then you get to be on the earth forever without sinning. And it's going to be amazing. I think about that all the time. I'm like, wow, what's that going to feel like to like have no sin in me? Like all my intentions are pure. All my words are good. Like I don't sin. I don't hurt anyone. I never cry because someone has hurt me. It's just going to be amazing. I'm so excited. It's going to be so fun. And then we'll all see each other and we'll be like, hey. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> we'll probably be more excited than that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we're also called to meekness because our Savior is meek, right? Jesus was the most meek man to ever live, um, which is crazy because Jesus is God. So he literally is the demonstration of strength and humility because he was the strongest, um, but yet he came to serve sinners, and most of them rejected him. um, But rather than, you know, being um, harsh, he died for them. Um, which is so crazy. Um, So he was humble, submissive to God, obedient, um, and trusted in God. Um, He went to the cross to save sinners. Um, And I think Matthew 11, 28 through 29, which is a really popular verse, shows something amazing about his character. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in spirit, and you will find rest for your souls. Um, So this is basically saying that Jesus, Jesus is saying, At the core of who I am, I am meek. I am humble, I am lowly, and I love you, and I'm here to take your burdens, which ties right back into the comfort part, right, that we just learned about, that only God is able to comfort us. Um, so yeah, I don't know about you, but that's like such a refreshment to like my soul and my heart is to, to know that um, that's who Christ is, that's who he calls me to be, um, and he's teaching me how to be more like that every day. Um, and he's gentle towards sinners, and he uses his power to save them from their sin, and that's the greatest demonstration of meekness that we could ever look to. Um, so just to wrap it up, I have a few application questions for us. Um, why do you, th- you guys think that mourning over our sin, like how is that different? How does that make us different from the world? Maybe I asked that too quick. Um, I mean, the world. If the if the world sins. Well. Worldly sinning, right? You you like lean into it. It's part. Of, it becomes who, who you are, and it becomes what you do with your life, and it becomes, like, part of your character. Hmm. And so you don't like. You're not like, oh, this is so bad. And if you are, you don't do anything to change it. Hmm. But mourning over your sin is being like, oh my gosh, I screwed up so bad, Lord. <sighs> like, I can't fix this. You have to fix this. What do I do? And, hmm. you know, yeah, you immediately want to fix it. And the way what the world looks at sin or bad choices isn't that. 
Mm-hmm. It's, you know, you do you. It's one of my least favorite phrases. You, you do, do you. you. In the right you setting. Use it a lot. I don't, I just don't like it. In the right <laughs> setting, it makes sense, right? Yeah. But it's used in the wrong way so often. It's like if I tomorrow went and slept with somebody who is not my husband and all this, right? Somebody would just be like, you do you, girl. You just needed some space. You just needed some time. <laughs> All of you would be like, are you kidding me? What is wrong with you? What are you doing? <laughs> right? That would, but somebody yeah. who's not looking to the Lord would be like, you know, just take some time. Hmm. Yeah. It's a terrible suggestion. Yeah. Like, we should be, be like, oh, my gosh, Lord. Like, if I did that, I would never do that. But I would, <laughs> I would be a mess, and I would be falling apart, and, it, like, it would be horrible mm-hmm. like and I would be mourning over this horrible decision you know like mm-hmm. yeah that the world looks at those things passively and we should be taking an active approach to fix it mm-hmm. yeah like the world would be like it'll it'll get fixed but we're like we're gonna fix this now right or like that's not like that person like you must not like you're not supposed to be with them like, yeah it's a sign from the universe. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. I don't like it at all. The universe. Yeah, the people that don't believe in God, but they believe in the universe. What do you think made the universe? What? Yeah. Morning to dancing. Yes. That's so good. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's like perfectly tied into like like the comfort from God. It should cause us to dance. Yeah, so good. That's so good. Yeah, I like this whole like the whole Sermon on the Mount is supposed to be uh, setting apart people that are following Christ from the world. It's supposed to be so different. Um, none of my unbelieving friends mourn over their sin. Most of them don't even know that they're sinning in the first place. And so it's just like we're supposed to be so different from the world because our sa- like because we're saved because we know um, we have a God that loves us enough to die for us. Um, so yeah, mourning over your sin isn't a bad thing. Um, it sets you apart from the world and turns your eyes to Christ. Um, and then the second question I have for us is, when is it hardest to be meek? To have a humble strength. When do you guys think it's hardest to be meek? I think, like, if there's something that, like, we feel like we need to get done ourselves and we don't really want anyone else to get it done... Because we want to be in control, especially like me. I like to like believe that I'm in control of my life, but not mm. God is. Yeah. I yeah. find it hard to be meek when I want to be strong. Because in my mm. brain, meekness is often close to weakness. Mm-hmm. And meekness is not a weakness. It is one of the strongest strengths we could ever have. I think for me when you said that <clears throat> putting the plan in him pretty much mm-hmm. and I was just like wow because like I feel like I've always had a plan of like being a teacher mm-hmm. but yeah. for some reason this week I've been like maybe I don't want to be a teacher for yeah. as long as I want to I was like oh maybe I could be an athletic director or I could do something mm-hmm. administration I was just like wow yeah that hit me a little yeah. bit when you read that so I think yeah. just trying to make sure to mm. yeah yeah it's hard to be meek when we want to be in control because yes. yeah. I thought it yeah. was yeah 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 and you'll find so much freedom in just, like, giving your plans to him and be like, you do whatever you think is best, God. Yes. Wreck yes. my whole life if you have to. <laughs> like, start me off at ground zero. It's, yeah, but it's also hard because we have to let go of the things. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to let go thinking that you're going to be a teacher forever. And I'm like, 
Yeah. Hearing the advice that you get from others, like, we're not teachers really anymore. I'm like, what do you mean? You got tired. I was like, you got tired? Yeah. teaching? <laughs> what? Yeah. So, yeah. But also, who knows? The Lord could call you to full-time yeah. teaching. Who knows? Yeah. You never know. Maybe I'll just work with my before and after school kids yeah. in my life. Yeah. I love that the most. <laughs> yeah. Forever and ever. <laughs> before and after schools. Um, so, yeah, the heart of a follower of Christ is that they are poor in spirit. They are deeply aware of their spiritual depravity. Um, they mourn and grieve over their sin, but they're comforted by God, um, and they are meek. Um, they trust God with all they are, um, and they're blessed because theirs is the kingdom of God. They'll inherit the earth, which is a hope that is, like, way in the future, but it's a hope that's a reality now that we can cling to now. Um, and, yeah, this message that Jesus has given us um, in the Sermon on the Mount and in the Word is so much better than, like, any fluff that the world could tell us. Um, so I just encourage you guys to find your delight in him, find your hope in him, um, read the word and give everything over to him. Um, yeah, that's all I have. I'll pray for us. And then I'm going to go move into my new apartment. Yay! Sorry. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I just praise you for who you are and that, um, your word is powerful and that it has the power to just satisfy us and to bring us comfort and to show us more of who you are. And, Lord, I just thank you for Ellie and her testimony, Lord, and just um, what you've done in her life. Would it just be a reminder to all of us that um, that your gospel, that your truth is so powerful and that um, the message that Jesus saves sinners is um, the most important message we could ever share. Would you just motivate us to um, keep sharing that and to be a light wherever we go? Um, and, God, would you help us um, mourn over our sin more? Would you make it um, a reality that we are sinning against you when we sin? Um, and would you help us just grieve over that, but to also look to you for our hope and our comfort, knowing that we're completely forgiven, um, that you love to forgive us, and that you love us no matter um, no matter what. Um, and then, Lord, would you teach us how to be meek, um, like Jesus was meek, and um, to humbly serve and to humbly um, just give everything over to you and to um, not use our strength for selfishness, but to acknowledge that our strength only comes for you from you. Um, Lord, we love you. Um, in your name I pray. Amen. Thank you.